0: My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, protective, protective,
1: unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, extraordinary. Throughout the entire
0: time that I've been chasing after this dream, she's always emphasized to me I have to make decisions for my life that will make me happy, even if they don't lead to me becoming an astronaut. I'll
1: ask. This is Our Mothers, Ourselves, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. When Abigail Harrison was five years old, she announced to her mother that she planned to become an astronaut. Instead of saying, that's nice, dear, Nicole Harrison talked her daughter through just what that might entail. Abby Harrison is 23 now. And not only does she plan to become an astronaut, but she plans to become the first human to step foot on Mars. Astronaut Abby, as she's known in social media, has a new book out called Dream Big, How to Reach for Your Stars. In 2015, she started a nonprofit called The Mars Generation to inspire others to reach for their stars. And as you'll hear, she couldn't have done any of this without the support of her mother, Nicole Harrison, Abby Harrison, I would like to thank you so much for coming on to our mothers ourselves to talk to me about your pretty cool mom, Nicole Harrison.
0: Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: You know, you are you're among the younger guests <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I've had today, which is pretty exciting to me because I wanted to talk to you about what you do. All against the backdrop of how your mom inspired you and supported you to do it. And in order to do that, we're going to have to sort of start from her background. And the very first thing I'd like to ask you just to get us into the mindset of your mom is if you had one word to describe your mother, what would that word be? Driven.
0: Absolutely driven.
1: Mm. I wonder if we're if we're gonna also get into like mother like daughters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's probably likely.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. So let's talk about her background because I think part of the theme of this particular episode is also gonna be about paying it forward to one's own daughters. So tell me about how she grew up and what the circumstances were and her education.
0: Yeah, so my mom was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and she is the daughter of a single mother. She had two sisters, and when when my mom left Wisconsin, she left to go to Minnesota, where she went to St. Kate's University, an all-women's college, or at least at the time it was an all-women's college, and she did an undergraduate degree, and then she also did a master's in education. And then went on to be a teacher, she was a high school teacher for a number of years, um, teaching social studies. And then after that, she, she worked a couple of different jobs and ended up founding her own business that she now runs, which is a social media and marketing business.
1: Oh wow. So what were the the socioeconomic circumstances of her childhood and and her parents?
0: Yeah, so my my grandma who we call Nana in my family, she worked at a bank. And my my mother's socioeconomic status when she was growing up is that they were they were definitely not well off, and it's one of the things that growing up she was disadvantaged in a lot of ways because her family just didn't have enough resources and when i was growing up it's one of the things that she she really stressed to me was that my childhood and young adulthood and all of that was very different from how hers was because even now i wasn't raised in like opulence or or anything i was raised very middle class but that was a lot different from how she was raised and it was something that i think is is definitely a source of accomplishment for her that she's doing better i suppose for for that this generation of my family is better off than than the circumstances that she grew up under
1: so when you say her mom was a single mom what what happened there so
0: my Grandma and my grandpa split up, I believe, in part because my grandpa ended up having some issues with substance abuse. When he returned from Vietnam, he just had a lot of mental health issues that were a result of some of the, the terrible things that happened. After he and my grandma split, because he just wasn't in a position to to be he wasn't the same person that he'd been before. They split and he ended up moving out to California, which I know was really hard on my mom when she was growing up to have lost her dad first to a substance abuse disorder and then to lose him physically as well when he moved across country. And, and back then, it was, I feel so weird saying back then, but to me that was back then. Back then it wasn't quite the way it is now where if you lived... You know, one person in the Midwest and one person on the West Coast, you could still have a lot of like video chats and you could fly out and visit all the time. Like that was a that was a really hefty distance for him to to be away. And so it was it was hard for her.
1: And I I know for her whole family to have that
0: that split happen for sure.
1: It sounds like your grandmother provided for the three girls or did her ex-husband, your grandfather, send money?
0: I'm not I'm not really sure of those circumstances, but I think that from what I've heard growing up, that it was most likely that my, my grandma was the, the sole provider, the breadwinner of the family at that point.
1: And what did she do?
0: She was a, a bank teller, I believe.
1: So I'm just picturing this. So she had these three girls. She was a bank teller. They didn't have a lot of money. And was it just a given that your your mom and your aunts would go to college or was that also kind of a first in the family?
0: My mom's generation was the first generation in my family to go to college. My grandma didn't have that opportunity Either on either side of my family. Neither of my grandmas had the opportunity to get a college degree. And for my mom and her sisters, it was always an expectation, I suppose you could say, that they would go to college. But what I think is really different about her generation versus my generation in our family now is that it was an expectation that somehow she would go to college, but she was also really kind of alone in paying for it because my grandma didn't have the means or or anything to support a college degree, especially not for all three of them. And so when I was growing up, my entire life has been with that same expectation that I would go to college, but with a different level of support from, from my family, who especially my mom was able to help me financially make my way through college, which is a, it's a really big difference, I think, because I know that when my mom was in college, she was, you know, working full time in order to pay her bills and her tuition and everything. And then she had us really young and she struggled a lot with that kind of balancing act.
1: So how old was she when she had, let's see, Are you, you're you younger than your sister, right? I am, Yep. So how old was she when she had your sister and how did she meet your dad? She
0: had my sister when she was 22 and she had me when she was 24. Mm. And and you're how old now? I'm 23 now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so can you imagine? <laughs> no. And that's one of the things that when I turned 22, I spent a lot of time thinking about that actually over the past like year and a half or so after I turned 22 thinking about how crazy it would be to have a kid right now like I cannot imagine having a kid let alone two kids like when my mom was my age she already had one baby and was pregnant with me and I'm over here like there's absolutely no way
1: (laughs) yeah it's 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 unfathomable I think the same thing my mom was very young when she had her kids too and there's no way I could have had kids at such a young age. So she was with your dad. They were married, I take it. And we, where were they raising you?
0: Yeah, so my parents were married for a couple of years. They ended up getting divorced when I was about two or three years old. Mm. And they were raising me and my sister in
1: St. Paul. And so you really have known your mom only as a single mom.
0: All of my memories, because obviously two is, is way too early to to have memories of that. My memories are always of my mom as a single mom.
1: Mm-hmm. So when you had, went to school and there were other kids and they had a mom and a dad and did you, was it a sort of pride for you or just sort of that's the way it is? When
0: I, when I was uh, younger, when I was in grade school and such, my parents being split was never really something that came up a lot. Like There were all kinds of different situations and it was something that to me just seemed really normal and was definitely something that like my mom did a good job, I think, of trying to uh, normalize that as well for us and, and talk about it.
1: So there you were. And she was a model for you. It sounds like she was a model of someone who had her head screwed on straight. <laughs> and was she a disciplinarian? How did she get you guys to like make your beds? And <laughs> Um,
0: yeah, sometimes, I mean, she was a, she had to be obviously with, with two young kids alone. She was somewhat of a disciplinarian. And I know that I was uh, really a hellraiser as a kid as well. But luckily for, for my mom and for all of us, I think my sister was a very quiet, very good, in every sense that you could imagine, child. And I was a very rambunctious. And then when we got older, we actually switched places a little bit. And my sister became somewhat more of a rambunctious teenager. And I ended up being like just a really classically easy teenager. I was really focused on school. I was really engaged in all of these things to progress my future. And so thankfully, my mom never had really too much on her hands, I think, because only one of us was acting up at a time.
1: So I want to hear the story of when you were little, and you announced to your mom that you wanted to become an astronaut and sort of how she reacted? Did she say, Oh, yes, dear, you'll get over it. You know, ne- next week, you'll want to be a ballerina.
0: Yeah, so she spent about probably five or six years saying exactly that where uh, I started saying I wanted to be an astronaut, I was probably around four or five when I started saying that. And for for good, long time. She never really discouraged me. So she never told me like, oh, you'll get over it. She did not think that I would hold on to that dream and that I would pursue it because she definitely did think that it was something like wanting to be a ballerina or wanting to be a firefighter or wanting to be, I don't know, a princess, like those kinds of things that kids say all the time and astronauts up there with them
1: how did you convince her that this was actually what you planned to do and you'd thought about it and looked into it? Yeah. And that was actually
0: how I ended up convincing my mom and, and how she ended up getting on my, on board with it, I suppose was when I was about probably 11 years old, I'd been talking about wanting to be an astronaut incessantly for years and years and years now. And one day my mom finally realized that I was still talking about this, it had been five, six, seven years that I'd been saying this, and that it wasn't going away. It wasn't just a childhood fancy or anything like that. This was a real dream. And so she sat down with me one day when I was eleven, and she likes to call it. she likes to call it the
1: Come to Jesus talk, where <laughs> wait, were you gonna have it with her? Or was she gonna have it with you?
0: She was having it with me, where she sat down with me and she told me, the harsh realities of this dream. And she told me how difficult it would be to accomplish it. And she wanted to make sure that that I was aware that it wasn't an easy thing and that it was you know, a very, very difficult thing. And, and during that talk, she told me that if I did want to accomplish it, she, she said, I'm not trying to discourage you from chasing after this, but you need to know the reality of it. She said, if you do want to chase after this dream and you want to be successful in it, then you need to make a plan and you need to start working towards it. And so I did. I went and I did some research and I came back the next day with two pieces of paper that I'd I'd printed out notes on. And one of them was a a plan to become an astronaut if I went through a military route. And the other one was a plan if I went through uh, a citizen scientist route. And I showed her those two. And I think that's when she realized that I was really, really serious about this dream. It wasn't it wasn't going away. And from that point on, she completely got on board. She has been my biggest supporter, my biggest believer for the last decade, essentially, in the time that I've chased after this.
1: That's amazing. So something in her just, just flipped a switch. And she. it sounds like she never said or held it over your head saying, I didn't have a chance like this, but you get the chance. Absolutely Growing not. Up. Yeah. She mm. never,
0: never portrayed that And she always actually really portrayed the opposite of that as well, which was that she's always wanted me to know how lucky I am to have the support that I have and to have the opportunity to chase after my own dreams. And she's also always wanted me to know that my entire family is really proud of me and that my successes are success for everyone who who's
1: been a part of her life growing up and and all of that. I do a lot of thinking about what gets passed through from generation to generation and it sounds like one of the things that p- passed through your mom's generation to you was gratitude in fact it sounds like she was into gratitude before gratitude was trendy
0: <laughs> yeah before it was
1: green right <laughs> right. <laughs> right exactly do you think that's true
0: absolutely and i think that that is just a fundamental part of who my mom is is she is very kind and she's very compassionate and empathetic and all of those things and i think that instead of taking her experiences of, you know, growing up without economic means and having a, a family that was in some ways fractured and those difficulties, instead of taking them and letting them turn her sour or become cynic or anything like that, she's used those as fuel to make other people's lives better. Like you said, to, to be kind before it was trendy, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Wow, what a what an amazing person. And how did she demonstrate like her external ways of demonstrating her love for you.
0: She absolutely did not cook. Oh, really? She's she a did... terrible
1: cook. Oh
0: my gosh! She has like like two recipes that she's allowed to make. She makes chili and she makes that really she's
1: good al- spaghetti and meatballs. Allowed? But, did you yeah. see that she's allowed? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's and, wait, about, I'm sorry. <laughs> so chili and spaghetti and spaghetti
0: and meatballs. And that's when I was growing up, like a lot of her cooking was not very good, but those were the ones that like were fantastic that she used to make. And so that definitely wasn't a way that she expressed love. One of the best ways I think that I could, uh, tell about a time that I've really felt loved and felt like it was a physical expression or, or display of love with my mom is when I was a teenager, we learned how to scuba dive together. And since then we've had the opportunity to go on a couple scuba diving trips and stuff like that. And also scuba dive in Minnesota. And whenever I scuba dive with her, she's, she's my buddy. So when you scuba, you have to have a buddy who essentially is responsible for watching out for you and make sure that you don't float away. She always Kind of hovers around me, I guess you could say, and she wants to double check all my straps, and she wants to look at my oxygen readings, and and all of that kinds of stuff because she gets a little bit worried, and it's really sweet when she does this. Like she comes over and helps me wash my gear afterwards and stuff like that. Where normally your scuba buddy is just your buddy when you're underwater, but when I scuba dive with my mom, she's my buddy the whole way through, and I think it's really sweet. <laughs>
1: It's also a wonderful metaphor, because what you're doing now, what was your major in college? I was
0: a biology major.
1: Okay, and now you're, tell me about what you're doing now.
0: Yeah, so now I am a scientific researcher at Harvard Medical School, where I work in a lab that studies immunology, genetics, and molecular
1: biology. Mm, The STEM fields are, you know, still, it's getting better for women. It's still not, there's no parody. And it sounds like she has supported you through and through. And what I like so much about your story, especially of the come to Jesus talk, (laughs) is that she didn't, she wasn't saying to you, give it up. There's no way you can do this. But she also wasn't saying, oh, it's great, Abby. You can do anything. I just want you to be happy. She just was very realistic.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about my mom is that she tells it how it is. And that was another really important one that when I was first setting out on this route to become an astronaut and throughout the entire time that I've been chasing after this dream, she's always emphasized to me is that I have to make decisions for my life that will make me happy, even if they don't lead to me becoming an astronaut. So I should choose things that impact my life in a positive way in multiple areas. So it's not enough to just blindly chase after this dream. I have to chase after this dream and have a backup and have like, make sure that it's fulfilling in a lot of different ways.
1: And she's also your scuba buddy Yeah, (laughs) in a way she's been packing your equipment in all kinds of different ways. And right for you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And Mm -hmm. she's always, you know, Checking my my safety straps and all of that and in real life. And I mean, in real life, scuba diving and metaphorically as well. She's she's always watching out for me, I think.
1: And you guys are now partners together. Is that right? What's your working relationship like?
0: When I was 18 years old, we co-founded
1: a nonprofit together
0: that (laughs) we are still running.
1: (laughs) Not many 18-year-olds start a nonprofit, but and this was for... (laughs) This is the the nonprofit for encouraging young people to go into STEM, is that right? Yeah, so
0: it's called the Mars Generation. And the goal of the Mars Generation is to expose and excite young people and then also support them in STEM. So science, tech, engineering, and math. And when I and I even I had the opportunity as well, I suppose this is an important part of the story, that an astronaut who had met a couple years earlier. When I was 15, he went to space for the first time and spent six months on the International Space Station. And he and I partnered up. I worked as his Earth liaison during that time, trying to share his experiences living and working in space with a wider and more diverse group of people here on Earth than he could reach on his own.
1: That's amazing. And, and who, who was it?
0: So I was astronaut Luca Parmitano, who's with mm-hmm. the, the European Space Agency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things that made it really cool was that I had a much more direct and I guess appealing connection to not just to young people, but especially girls. And so I was able to take his his experiences and share them in a way that, that young women and, and girls could connect with much more strongly, which was really cool. And so I spent all of these years doing lots of outreach work. And my mom, she didn't just drive me to and from this stuff. She also was really involved in it and in supporting me to do it. And so when I turned 18, and I went away to college, we decided we, we talked a lot about like, well, what are we going to do about the outreach work is Abby, do you want to keep doing outreach work? In what way do you want to do it? Do we need to change this in any way? And that's where the idea of starting a nonprofit together really came from was this this passion that we've been sharing for A a long time at that point of educating and exciting the next generation in STEM.
1: Wow, that's an amazing story. So it sounds like she was transitioning out of the world of teaching and into more into the world of nonprofit and starting the nonprofit with you. Is that right?
0: Yep. And so her first job after after she left teaching, her first job after that actually was in the nonprofit industry industry. Where she worked at a, a small nonprofit called Micro Grants that helped to give small scale loans and grants to people to help change their economic circumstances and things like that. And mm. I think that the nonprofit industry is very, very difficult for a lot of people. Like it's it's a difficult industry to work in, but I think that it was one that definitely was positive. Uh, a positive experience to her and that it was very fulfilling of that desire to give back and to participate in a positive way within society and within her community. And I know she enjoyed working there. And then she ended up leaving that job for, for different opportunities and eventually started her own company. And then many years after that, we started this nonprofit together. So this definitely, the Mars generation wasn't her first step into the nonprofit world, But it was like a return back to uh, Mm -hmm. participating in that way.
1: And how handy that you were there to go go with her on this on this journey and for her to go with you and so you mentioned earlier that you and your sister were sort of doing this seesawing back and forth (laughs) where you where you were the first the rambunctious one and then the more docile one and then your sister became more rambunctious how did you guys resolve arguments with your mother
0: Uh, so it was definitely one of those things where where my family had to learn how to handle that and manage that my sister was a non-traditional teenager, I guess you could say. Was that a word she used? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard her say that before. She was a teenager who didn't fit into the classical system of like school was really boring for her and it was really difficult for her. And she didn't find the same kind of joy that I found in school. And and so she would act out and things like that. And it wasn't that she was in any way bad. It was just that her talents in the world lie elsewhere. My sister is an incredibly smart person. She speaks like four different languages. She is very successful at the things that she sets her mind to. And yeah, I think that that's something that I respect about my mom is that she always tells us that even though my sister and I have taken very different paths in life, that she is equally proud of both of us for the things that we've done and the people that we've become.
1: That's amazing. So she really didn't play favorites. She didn't pit. Child, oh, she was child she ever- did oh I'm she did favorite. oh okay
0: oh you <laughs> <laughs> she <laughs> she always the other thing she used to tell us when we were teenagers and she tells us now even is that when we were teenagers she loved us both equally but she liked me more
1: oh, my so- <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> What an amazing person. So when she does all this incredibly (laughs) wonderful parenting, do you kind of store it away in your cheeks like, okay, I'm going to remember to do that when I'm a mother and do that when I'm a mother?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that I had a good, definitely a good role model.
1: So as I understand it, you called it the Mars generation because you want to go to Mars, right? Right.
0: Yes, I want to be an, not only an astronaut, but I, I aspire to be the first astronaut to walk on Mars someday. And my mom and I named our nonprofit the Mars Generation because we have this, this idea that if you want the next generation to do great things like putting humans on the surface of Mars and other great things here on Earth, then it's necessary that we are exposing them to STEM subjects right now, that we're exciting them about them and engaging them, and that we're also then supporting them. Because you can't just wait 15 years and then say, why aren't we on Mars yet? You can't wait 15 years and say, why aren't we fixing problems here on Earth? You have to start now, and you have to realize that the generation that is growing up right now, in 10 or 15 years, they're going to be the, the scientists and the politicians and the teachers and all of the people who will be facing those problems and those challenges and hopefully solving
1: them and hopefully doing great things. And your mom, it sounds like she, she does the nonprofit with you, but she, she has her own company, which is in, very successful in its own right, right?
0: Yes, it is. She founded her own business in social media and, and digital marketing. And she, it's called Social Nicole and which is just the cutest name. (laughs) And it's, it's been getting more and more successful every year.
1: That's great. And what do you attribute her business success to?
0: I think that I attribute her success both in, in her business and in the nonprofit that we run together to that first quality. When you asked me at the very beginning of this interview, you asked me for one word that would describe my mom. And I said that she's driven. And that is absolutely what
1: what I suppose
0: drives to use the same exact word there, her success in those areas because she she definitely works tirelessly she she works a lot, and she is usually not satisfied to finish something until the job is done and the job is done properly.
1: You know what I love about this conversation is men have been pretty much absent,
0: so this yeah. conversation definitely passes the Bechdel test
1: for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the becquel test. So I do want to sort of just ask you a couple, uh, just one or two more things. And I was cleaning up my little my little cave, my podcasting my little podcasting closet when I was getting ready for this interview, and I put post its. Whenever I do an interview, I put post its all over the place to make sure that I don't forget to ask a question. And I was taking one of the an old post it off the wall, and then I looked at it, and it says on it. Everything is Waiting for You. And it's from an old interview I must have done a couple of months ago with David White, the poet. But one of his poems, in fact, it's the volume is called Everything is Waiting for You. And I just wanted to read you a couple of lines from it because it got me to thinking, why am I taking this off the wall? Because it seems so apropos of the interview I'm about to do with Abby. And so I'll just read you a couple of lines from the poem.
0: Oh, that
1: would be great. Everything is waiting for you. And he writes, alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity.
0: That's really nice. I think that, yeah, that I'm glad that you read that because I think it is very fitting to the conversation that we're having.
1: I know it was one of these sort of the constellation of (laughs) (laughs) post-its.
0: Trust me, I'm familiar with that. I'm a big fan of using using post-its aggressively.
1: (laughs) So do you ever I guess my my last question is, do you when you're down or you're just not feeling like you're going to get there or do you feel like you can confide in your mom that way?
0: Absolutely. And I think that I'm really fortunate in that sense because my mom is, as we've talked about earlier, she's really good at being a cheerleader for me, but not doing it in a way that's fake or that's false or anything like that. And so she's definitely someone that, that I feel lucky to be able to call her when I'm, when I'm down to get advice all of that kinds of stuff. And I, I think that that's a really important person. We all need someone to lean on and we all need someone who, who will help us out in those instances. And I really appreciate that my mom is is, a, is that person for me. Although I appreciated a little bit less this last year because she started doing this thing where I'll call her and I'll ask for advice and I suppose I need to give a little bit of context here to make this story make sense. I wrote a book recently and she was involved throughout the book. She she helped me like edit a couple sections of it and of course she got to read it when I, you know, before it went out to my publisher and all of that. And it's a book that is about dreaming big and making a plan for success and has a lot of really great advice throughout it and has teaches a lot of skills and tools and it's geared towards young people to help them be really chase after their dreams in in a way that will mm. um, lead to those dreams becoming true. And so the reason that I bring that up is because for the last year, since I started writing this and working through the process of publishing it, my mom does this thing where I call her and I ask her for advice and I tell her my situation and she'll listen. And then she'll go, you should read chapter five of <laughs> Dream Big. <laughs> what's in chapter five (laughs) I think that chapter five is about like fear of failure or something like that and but she'll just she'll do that with everything she'll be like well I think that you wrote something I think you wrote advice for that and blah 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 blah. and I'm like I don't want to (laughs)
1: hear oh my gosh that is so funny and it's It's so funny (laughs) the title is dream big right it is
0: it's dream big how to reach for your stars
1: Oh, I love that. And she's like, she's like, listen to your own advice. Listen that's to your what own
0: advice. Yep.
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. but And so,
0: it's so funny when she does it. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> she also has the book memorized.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really, there have been a couple times where she's she said that and I've gotten upset about like, I've been like, like, I called you for advice not to like make fun of me. And she's like, I'm not making fun of you. And then a couple weeks later I'll call her back and I'll be like, you know, I was thinking about blah, blah, blah. And I agree that that was actually an appropriate section to direct me to. And she just loves that.
1: (laughs) That is wonderful. I hope the book sells big.
0: I hope so Uh, too. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it sounds great. And I want to thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you.
0: I appreciate being on your podcast and getting to talk about my mom because I think that she really is Behind a lot of my success, and she has been there for me for so long, and I love getting to tell her story, and I love getting to, I guess, not tell her story, but tell our
1: story. And that's it this week for our mothers ourselves. Our theme music was composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Paula Mangin is our artist in residence. Our associate producer is Sophie McNulty, and Alice Hudson is the show's producer. Please visit us at ourmothersourselves.com and contribute the one word that best describes your mother to the site's mother word cloud. That's ourmothersourselves.com. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredex Studios in San Francisco. And I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Stay safe, everyone. I know.